Welcome, welcome, welcome. I would like to welcome you to episode 406 of the Unpopular Podcast. This is the man, the myth, the legend, Jalen Hunter. And here at the Unpopular Podcast, not really asked you to agree with me, I'm asking you to hear me out. People ask why college sports in a lot of instances is more popular than professional sports or why something like March Madness gets more views, more ratings, more interest than something like the NBA playoffs. And while yes, betting, gambling, uh, The whole one-and-done notion is definitely a huge part in that argument. So I'm not here saying that it's not. But one thing that makes college sports different than professional sports is tradition. Now, I'm not saying that professional sports doesn't have tradition, but tradition isn't viewed the same way in the NBA or the NFL than it is in college football or college basketball. Tradition is one thing that brings college sports together. Whether that, you know, there are universal traditions, there are just traditions that your school might have or your favorite school might have. Traditions shape college sports. And that's why, that's one reason I'll say why people have such a attachment to them. One tradition that not only is one of the most popular traditions in college sports, but has gotten the most Let's say scrutiny, and I'll say over the last week or so, is court storming. Court storming has been a part of not just court storming. It's court storming. It's field storming. When you are the, the viewed as the lesser team, when you are viewed as the underdogs, and say a major school or say like a Duke, a North Carolina, a Kentucky – comes to your school when you're the lesser school in a lot of ranks rankers eyes and you win whether that again that's in football whether that's in basketball the tradition usually is for the crowd to storm the field or to storm the court it is a form of unity with your crowd Uh, it's a it's a sense of elation seeing as though you are celebrating with the players after reaching a feat that was viewed as unlikely. It's a tradition that has happened since God knows how long. I'm sure that there is an origin to this, but I don't know the origin. And this has this tradition has been under a lot of scrutiny over the last, let's say, week or two because So I believe it was Wake Forest against Duke. Wake Forest was viewed as the lesser team. Wake Forest was at home. Duke was ranked eighth at the time. They are, you know, University of Duke. When you hear Duke, that's one of those schools, the Blue Bloods, the prestigious school, a school with a lot of history in terms of basketball. When we talk about Coach K and all the great, the the pantheon of players that have played at Duke that ultimately went to the NBA. 
And Wake Forest ultimately beats Duke. And, of course, in fashion, in tradition, the crowd storms the court. Now, in this instance, one of the Duke players gets hurt. He, he One of the players collides with a student app or a student trying to rush on celebrating the win and he gets he gets hurt this also happened a couple weeks ago with caitlin clark caitlin clark in iowa lost to i don't remember the team and caitlin clark kind of that and a fan made contact now what has been interesting <laughs> to say the least to see is the discussions, the think pieces, the segments after this and how this quote unquote is ruining the game of of basketball, how this quote unquote um, needs to be abolished and how af- stu- students sh- that aren't athletes shouldn't be on the court. It's It's been fascinating to not only hear what people feel after this, but to hear who was saying it. Now, I'm not going to go exactly into, like I'm not going to single out one or two people, but what I will say is this. I'll give my opinion on the situation. I do find it, or I do feel that it is the number one, let's say this, the number one goal, responsibility, duty, I guess you can say, of any school or any program is to ensure the safety of not only your players, but of the opposing players. I understand that people don't really view or people have a hard time viewing players, whether professionally or in the college ranks, as actual people. But at the end of the day, that's exactly what they are, is people. And you want to make sure that they are in the perfect position to be safe, whether a win, lose, draw, you want them to be safe. And obviously, I understand that it's very difficult to ensure that someone is going to be safe when you also implement a court storm. Now, let me also add, let me put a little caveat in saying court storms don't always happen. They're a very rare occasion, which makes it even more grand when it happens because court storms don't happen or field storms don't happen every day. But again, when you're the when you're the home team, whether the home team is the one storming the court or whatever, when you're the home team, your number one goal and when, I'm not just talking about the team as far as the actual team. I mean the venue, the school, the organization, the university. Your number one job is to ensure the safety of 
the people coming to your place, whether that is the students and the athletes. And I understand the difficulties of ensuring that when there is a court storm, because you have hundreds of kids, of students, of, I don't know, family members rushing the field or rushing the court. And I think, and in, in quiet as is kept, I'm not, I'm not putting any blame on, you know, the player that got hurt. I, I, it looks like he's going to be okay. I think it's Kyle Flakowski um, from Duke, so I, I hope he's going to be okay. Well, it looks like he's going to be okay. But I'm not putting any fault on the player getting hurt. I'm glad that he's okay. But what I am going to say is, let me just center on the away team or the team that is experiencing or the other end of the court storm. I'm going to address the 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 home, I'm going to finish the home venue, but let me address the away court or away team or the team that suffered the loss that is now getting stormed on. I started this by saying tradition. Tradition means this ain't the first time this has happened. Tradition means more than likely is not going to be the last time. And tradition also means that there is a op, there's an opportunity of this happening. If you're the 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 better team and you lose, you have to understand. See, I played college basketball. Now, no, I didn't play to the I didn't play D1 NCAA. I played D1 NAI. But there are still similarities. When you come into a court or when you come into an arena and you are favored and you're starting to look up and you start to see, you know, time dwindling and you start to see, okay, we're probably going to lose this game. There are tall tale signs that there is about to be a court storm. Tall tale signs. Now, this is somebody that's been in it. Obviously, you have stands. Players start to, not players, fans start to walk closer. Players start, fans start to wall up and start to stand around the the baseline and start to stand around the court. They're not really, they're coming from the top of the stands or from the middle of the stands to baseline pretty much or to the side sidelines. And they're just standing. You know, you see the, the anticipating, they're anticipating the final buzzer. Just like how you can see it on TV, you see it even I know how people say, oh, I was too in it. No, you see this is coming. You see that the court is about to get stormed. So as an away team, as the team that just suffered the loss, it is your it is in your best interest to as soon as that bell, as soon as that ball goes up or as soon as the, the final buzzer rings. You make a beeline as fast as you can to the locker room. You even saw it with, 
with the game in which we're talking about, the Wake Forest against Duke, uh, Proctor, it's a Terrell Proctor that plays for Duke. As soon as the game ended, you saw him sprint beeline to the to the uh, to the sidelines or to the tunnel because he knew what was about to happen. Filipkowski kind of lingered on the court, and it, it just you have to you have to. Look, I understand that it is in the it's the the home arena or the arena's job to keep you safe off, you know, from anything happening off the court. But you have to understand what's about to happen. So what I'm just saying is I'm I'm glad that he's not drastically hurt. I'm glad that he's not, you know, the reports are saying it's just, you know, he just got bruised up a little bit, but. Get off the court. <laughs> Get off the court as fast as you can. And, again, I'm not putting blame on it because it can happen to anybody, but you have to put yourself in. You you can't – I understand you have to in certain instances, but you can't automatically put your health or put your safety in the arms of somebody else and you don't do nothing. Like, you have to get off the court, bro. Get off the court. Sprint off the court. I understand you're probably soaking in the loss and you probably didn't want to lose, but it happened, so you got to get off. Or you risk what you risk. You risk something like what happened with Flipkowski. Flipkowski. You you risk something happened to Caitlin Clark two times when both, both players were just Lingering on the court after a loss. You gots to go. Now for the home team. Or for the team the home the arena that is you know, that that the fans are storming the court and field. I feel like again, I understand that it's rare that it happens. You know, it's not always the case, but you have to have things in place for the safety of the court. I like I don't remember exactly who said it, but I like the idea of just give them a minute. As soon as the game's over, give them a minute. I hear people say, well, that's going to take away from the excitement. That's going to take away from the joy. No, it won't. You still beat a top-ranked team, or you still beat a team that you didn't expect to beat. Give that team maybe a minute to get off the court. I understand that there's the whole handshake thing and the handshake line. Let the away team get off the court. And then as soon as they get off the court, let them storm the court. Not only does that give them a minute to get off the court, but it also gives your fans a minute to, you know, the anticipation is still building. You still will see those scenes of, you know, you beating a top-ranked team and them taking the the goalpost out. Or it's you just have to be better. You have to be better, and you have to just let them get it. Give them a minute. That, that's all I'm asking. Give them a minute, and you should be fine. But there has been some crazy, crazy. I, I, I hear people talking about they should lock up the kids. I hear people saying that. You know, it's also funny, and the last thing I'll say about this is a lot of people that are saying that they shouldn't, they should ban court storms or court storms shouldn't be a thing are people that have went to schools that traditionally don't do court storms and there's again there is nothing wrong with 
going to a school that doesn't do it. There's nothing wrong with, you know, going to a school that might look at it differently. Like North Carolina doesn't do much court storms because they're usually ranked high. Same thing with Duke. Same thing with Kentucky. You know, the, those teams don't really do that. But don't take it away from the lesser schools or the schools that may not be as prominent historically as those schools, you know. So, again, I, I'm i all for court and field storms. I just I want to see you need to it needs to be safe. That's it. It needs to be safe, and you need to not only look out for the safety of your team and your organization, but also the away or away team, because you never know. Uh, let's move forward. A question that I've been wrestling with this week is when is a divorce okay? And I'm not talking about like a marriage divorce. I'm talking about obviously in the sports realm, a divorce between maybe a player and a team, a player and an organization, you know? The question is, when is a divorce okay? These next few topics we're going to center around breakups and we're going to center around when is it time or when do you know it's time for a breakup? And I'm going to first start with Russell Wilson. What I've been wrestling with is Some would say that the the time when you know it's it, it, when you know it's time for a divorce is when both sides are done or both entities whether the player the team two people both entities would be better off apart and I always I think about that because my question is, who makes that decision? Now, obviously, there are instances where both people come together and say, hey, this ain't working. We need to we need to separate. In that case, I understand completely. But what if one person has expressed that they're not ready to go or they're not ready for this thing to end? But another person is. In terms of Russell Wilson, I understand what the goal was. I understand when you get a player like Russell Wilson with the history that Russell Wilson has and you give up as much that you give up, I understand what the goal is. The goal is high. The goal is essentially you being in the best position to compete for a Super Bowl. 
You being in the best position to compete amongst the top-ranked teams because you expect to get a top-ranked player, a player that has won a Super Bowl, that's been to essentially two Super Bowls. But anyone from here to... Denver can see that the relationship between the Denver Broncos and Russell Wilson should be officially over. Now, I've talked at nauseum about how I feel about Russell Wilson, how I feel his tenure has gone in Denver, how I feel... His tenure has gone in Denver with Sean Payton. I've gone, I've talked about that at nauseum. So I'm not going to rehash things. But what I will talk about is what should, what do I think should be next for Russell Wilson? Or what, what marriage do I think would benefit Russell Wilson most in the sports world, in the football world? Because while I don't think that when the deal was first made, obviously I don't think made, what, two two years in, a divorce would be this imminent or, or divorce would look this bad. But it is bad. And we are here. The question that you have to ask yourself and the question that needs to be answered is Ken Russell Wilson still play? And I don't mean play, just obviously he can still throw the ball. I mean, that hasn't left. But is Russell Wilson, should Russell Wilson still be viewed as a player that can be a missing piece for a franchise or be a quarterback that can get you to heights, that you essentially are not at without him. I look at last year or this 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 the end of this season. And Russell Wilson statistically was one of the best quarterbacks in football. That doesn't essentially mean that Russell I would pick Russell Wilson over the likes of a Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen. But I do think that Russell Wilson is still a top-tier quarterback. The, the, the thing about football that a lot of people overlook when they're discussing a single player is, especially when you're a quarterback, while, yes, you can be as great as you can be, you still need help. The, 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 the reason why they say football is the, is the ultimate team sport is because it doesn't matter how great you are in a certain instance because if you don't have if you don't have greatness around you if you don't have solid pieces around you you are at a disadvantage and i'm not throwing anybody under the bus but look at 
maybe by name, the pieces that were around Russell Wilson in Denver by name were good, but look at their play on the field. Now, I'm not absolving Russell Wilson of anything. Russell Wilson was not good, especially a lot that first year. But you also, again, have to look at what was around him. But again, I'm not going to go down that road. What I will say is this. I look at the landscape of the NFL. And I look at the teams that are in desperate need of a quarterback. Now, there are multiple teams that obviously need a quarterback but there aren't too many teams that are a quarterback away that will take them from one tier I guess to another tier and what I mean by that is let's look at uh hmm. let's look at the Washington Commanders currently constructed now, yes, I understand they have a bunch of cap space. They have the number two overall pick. But currently constructed, currently, right now, you put Patrick Mahomes on that team, they don't go from, you know, bottom-of-the-barrel team to a Super Bowl contender. They go from bottom-of-the-barrel team to maybe a, a fringe playoff team, but they don't go from worst to best. Even in... We are, it is universal that Patrick Mahomes is the best player in football. But what I'm saying is there is a team, like let's say we put Patrick Mahomes on, let's say you put Patrick Mahomes on LA Chargers. To me, they go from where they are to a Super Bowl contender, in my opinion. Could be wrong. That's my opinion. So what I'm saying is, yes, there are teams that need a quarterback, but there aren't a lot of teams that is a quarterback away. And for Russell Wilson, I think that Russell Wilson is still in that realm of he is good enough to be a quarter to be that quarterback that you can look at and say, oh, we're just a quarterback away. I understand that it was ugly in Denver. But I'm also looking at what we saw last year. And I'm looking at the fact of, so where do I think the the perfect marriage for Russell Wilson is? I, I understand that, especially when we talk about quarterbacks, it's a lot deeper than just where you should or should not go because contracts play a part and I understand that it's very difficult for a, a team to tackle the contract that Russell Wilson was given by Denver now you are hearing Russell Wilson say that he is willing to take a vet's minimum which doesn't really affect any team as far as cap space and again I will preference this by saying I do think that Russell Wilson is still one of those quarterbacks that can be that missing piece for a Super Bowl caliber team. So 
but I will say this. Russell Wilson is in that category now. And I that is something that I have learned and seen in Denver. Russell Wilson is in that category while he is still still has an opportunity to be great. I think he is in that category that a lot of almost everything has to be right around him. Whether it means you have to have a good offensive line, you have to have good pieces, you have to have a good weapons on the outside. Like Russell Wilson is in that that boat now. Now I think that he is one of the better quarterbacks in that boat, but Russell Wilson is indeed in that boat. And that also narrows the path down a little bit. Which team that needs a quarterback that has almost everything good outside of the quarterback? To me, the the answer is clear as day. I think Russell Wilson would be perfect for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Look at the success of Russell Wilson when he was in Seattle. Those Super Bowl teams, what did they what did those teams and the Pittsburgh Steelers had in common? Well, they had a legendary coach, Pete Carroll, Mike Tomlin. They had a very good offensive line. While the offensive line isn't great for Pittsburgh, it's better than what it was in Denver. Now, no, I don't think that this Pittsburgh defense is the Legion of Boom. I'm not going to to go that far. But what I will say is this Pittsburgh defense does have T.J. Watt, does have Joey Porter Jr., does have Minka, Minka Fitzpatrick. It has really good pieces, great pieces. You had an exceptional running back in uh, Marshawn Lynch. Well, no, I'm not saying that Nazi Harris is Marshawn Lynch. He is a very capable, very good running back. You know why Pittsburgh fans have been so upset these last, what, two years? It's because they know that they are... They, they kind of suffer from the Chargers, um, not Chargers, from what the Jets were suffering from these last two years. And the Jets feel like they are a quarterback away. And I, I, I essentially do agree. I don't know if at this point of his career if Aaron Rodgers is that quarterback, but I do essentially agree that. You are they are they are pretty much a quarterback, but they have a great defense. They have really good pieces on the offensive side of the ball. They just need to get that offensive line together and you know see what goes on, see what happens with Aaron Rodgers. But the Pittsburgh Steelers, they are they I mean, we know about the history and the lineage. They're used to winning. They have been spoiled with winning. And when you, it's tough. I can I can imagine. I'm I'm a fan of a team that their winning days ended when I was a child. So I'm not used to, I understand the, the extensive history of Washington, but I'm not used to them being, you know, Super Bowl caliber teams. 
uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, people that were born in 1990s and, and, and you know, they, they understand. I mean, they've seen a Super Bowl. So when you trot out someone like a Kenny Pickett or someone like a Mason Rudolph or someone like a Mitch Trubisky, especially after the long lineage of Ben Roethlisberger, like I understand that it's, it's going to be tough. But I think Russell Wilson would be perfect. You have pieces like George Pickens. You have pieces like Deontay Johnson. You have Pat Frymuth. Like they have a squad. They just need that quarterback to get it, to glue it all together. Now, I will say this, though. And this is where I'm looking solely at Russell Wilson. Personality and likability matters most at the quarterback position than any other position in football. More than likely, the quarterback is usually the most paid or the highest paid, is usually the most covered, is usually the most seen. A lot of times, the quarterback is the captain of the at least offense. Excuse me. So it's very important to be likable, and it's very important to be respected by your teammates. I don't know Russell Wilson personally, obviously. But what I do know is what I've heard from former teammates. And it hasn't been the most glowing review of Russell Wilson's personality when discussing how it is to play with Russell Wilson. And I think that's one thing that has derailed this whole Denver-Russell Wilson marriage. I don't, I'm not going to say this is a wake-up call or whatever, but uh, what I will say is Maybe I mean when you get when you get paid as much as Russell Wilson has been paid in his career, and you're willing to take the vet's minimum, maybe that is a, a sign of saying, "Hey, I understand where I am, and I understand this would be the best for me." But you, if if and when Russell Wilson does get another opportunity, you again, I don't know. I'm just going off of what I've heard by a litany of former teammates you have to be better and you have to be a better leader as far as personality wise because what it seems like again I don't know but what it seems like is the Russell Wilson that we see on camera is much different than the Russell Wilson or personality likability wise is much different than it is in the locker room and when you're the quarterback, especially the quarterback that makes as much as Russell Wilson made in Denver, and when you are seen as the missing piece, you have to win the locker room. Because if you don't, well, it's going to be tough sledding. I'll just say that. But yeah, I think Russell Wilson would be perfect for the Pittsburgh Steelers. That kind of brings me to my next topic. And we're sticking on the the relationship 
between divorcing and marriaging marriages and in sports, obviously. I want to talk about Justin Fields for a second because people ask, why do I think that Russell Wilson is a perfect marriage for the Pittsburgh Steelers and not Justin Fields? Because there's a lot of people that view Justin Fields as a better option at this point of his career than Russell Wilson. I don't essentially agree, but I understand where you're coming from. A famous line that I have on this podcast, something that I talk about a lot, is fit. And fit does matter when we talk about for players and for teams. And we also talked about tradition. You know, we started this off with court storming and the tradition of the court storming and why I do think it's important to keep court storming. What makes tradition in football is, or in the NFL is how your organization has been run or what is attached to your organization. For instance, the tradition for the for the New England Patriots, for as long as I've been alive, is winning. That's the reason why we view them as a former dynasty. Because when we think about New England Patriots, when we think about Tom Brady, when we think about Bill Belichick, all line all I've seen majority of my life is them winning. Actually, let me say, that. in the two thousands on, it's been mostly winning. Pittsburgh has a history of winning as well. In fact, they're one of the most winningest franchises in football. I think there may be two. However, they are used to having a quote-unquote adult, a savvy veteran at the quarterback position, whether we talk about. Now, I understand that they drafted Big Ben, but you see how long Big Ben stayed with them. Uh, Terry Bradshaw, you know. And when you're a piece away, I think that the patience of an organization, the patience of a fan base is a lot shorter for a younger player than it would be for a veteran. Now, again, I think that Russell Wilson is better than Justin Fields right now. I don't think Justin Fields is terrible, but I do think that Russell Wilson would be a better fit because he is experienced winning at the highest level. And I think that he'll be able to be to uh, he'll be able to win over fans and win over a locker room faster than a quarterback that's just trying to understand his 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 footing in this NFL landscape. I think you, you want to bring somebody in especially for an organization like the Pittsburgh Steelers, that you don't have to have that problem. But let's talk about Justin Fields for a second. This divorce 
And this marriage has been much different than what we talked about with Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. There are some marriages that both that one person is putting their all into it. One person is trying their hardest to make it work. And another person, while they may try, they may not know how to be compatible for that other person. They may not understand what it takes to be with that person, even though they could be trying, it may not be enough. While the other person is trying as hard as they can. That is an incompatible, I don't even know if that's a word, but incompatible marriage. The difference between Russell Wilson situation and Justin Phil's situation is Justin Fields, I feel, has tried to do the best he can. Whether that is as great or whether that is him being great or not, I feel like he's been the best that he's capable that he's capable of being. However, the the Chicago Bears has not held up their end of the marriage. They have not done their part. And The thing about marriages that a lot of people don't talk about is you are a representation of each other. And if one person is going out sad, if one person just looks terrible, it is it has a negative effect on the entire relationship. You ever look at some for I'm not going to say that, but I will I will just say, say a husband or a wife does something crazy. Nine times out of ten, they're going to look at the spouse and be like, yo, what, what is happening? This is you? I don't think. I know. Ain't no think. I know that the Chicago Bears has not done enough to surround Justin Fields with what he is needed to win. I which do, which doesn't make much sense to me, but this is just where we are because you trade up to get him. You told him as the future of the Chicago Bears, yet and still you're you you start a rebuild with him and it feels like you keep restarting that real rebuild whether that's trading away important pieces like a Roquan Smith you know or or not really surrounding him with capable wide receivers i.e. like Chase Claypool now i i i want to <laughs> I want you to 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 look at what we saw last year and how some of Justin Fields' best games went hand in hand with some of DJ Moore's best games. I've talked about this ad nauseum. 
it is so important, especially for a younger quarterback, to have a mature, high-level, elite, number one receiver. Now, obviously, they don't grow on trees. But when you have the capability, when you're able to get a player like that, you hold on to it. Because it just the reason why I call the, the reason why safety blankets are so important in life is because they bring on a level of comfort. They bring on a level of security. And when you're comfortable and when you're secure, you're able to what? Be your best self at a lot of instances. No one falls asleep when they're uncomfortable. But when you have security, when you have comfort around you, that is when you get your best sleep. As a Washington fan, obviously I would love to see Washington trade up and get Caleb Williams. But uh, if I'm looking solely at this Justin Fields relationship I with the Chicago Bears, I don't think that – I think it's time – they need to get rid of Justin Fields. And that's not because Justin Fields is bad. That's because they have not shown the ability to cater to his needs. And I'm not saying that in a deep of my way. I'm saying that is – Every quarterback has needs, some more than others. And Justin Fields has needs that the Chicago Bears have not been able to met. In fact, they met it once and had DJ Moore in shocker. They have been able to get the best out of Justin Fields in that instance. I will say this. I do think that Atlanta, I mean, obviously that has been the team that has kind of been spiraling for Justin Fields. I think Atlanta would be perfect having Kyle Pitts and hopefully they, they're they able to get the best out of Kyle Pitts things though they haven't been able to do it since they drafted him. Uh, you have B. John Robinson. You have Drake London. Like they have Cordell Patterson who was an adult. Like they have a really good organization. It's just they're, uh, they don't have the best offensive line but it is what it is. I just think that while yes, selfishly, I would love, I would love Washington to trade up to get Caleb Williams. But that even in that, obviously, I'm on the outside looking in. But from what we've seen, there, the way that they've handled Justin Fields, you can think that Caleb Williams is better than Justin Fields and has a higher ceiling than Justin Fields. That's cool. But do you have the confidence in saying that Caleb Williams is or the Chicago Bears are going to do everything that is or they're going to be able to surround Caleb Williams with what he needs, seeing as though they were never really able to do that with Justin Fields outside of these last, what, two years? And again, I will say that in these last year and a half, two years, we've seen 
the best Justin Fields. So I, I just think that marriage needs to to end for Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears. And honestly, I think the Chicago Bears feel the same way. I just don't know if they understand how to surround a young quarterback with talent since we haven't really seen it. So, but we'll see. We'll see. The last marriage I'm going to discuss is when, again, the the theme around this episode is marriage slash divorce. That might be the, the, I might, that might be the title of this episode. How do I, how do I, have you ever seen those marriages where both sides know this marriage is over? They just don't want to break or they just haven't broken up. And for some reason, they just keep. It's like the definition is saying they keep doing the same thing, expecting change, but nothing's going to change. But because both sides know that this marriage, this relationship is over, they don't really try their best at anything. They just coast. They just go through the motions. That marriage, that relationship is never going to improve because they have essentially put their cap on it. Again, I... I, There... There isn't many players that are like Trey Young in the NBA. And I, just like the Atlanta Hawks, understand that. I'm not saying Trey Young is the best, but what I'm saying is there aren't many players like Trey Young just walking around. Being that quick, I understand height is a thing, but being that quick, having the hand dribble ability that he has, having the court vision that he has, and having the range that he has. There aren't many Trey Youngs walking around. And for that, I understand why the Atlanta Hawks may not want to let him go. But I also understand the frustration of we understand that there's not many. You know what it is? The worst thing that could have happened to the Atlanta Hawks Trey Young relationship is was it 2020 or 2021? 2021, when the Atlanta Hawks made it to the Western Conference Finals. I mean, I'm sorry, the Eastern Conference Finals. That is the worst thing that could have happened to this Trey Young and Atlanta Hawks relationship because it 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 birthed unrealistic expectations. It birthed the expectation that the Atlanta Hawks are a top-tier team and Trey Young is a superstar. And because of that, 
we should be perennial conference finals. Uh, we should be a perennial conference finals team. No. On a lot of those fronts. Trey Young is great. He is not a superstar. Trey Young is a star. He is an all-star. He is not a superstar. Atlanta is nowhere close. Even though they ha- they do have an uh, infusion of young talent, whether we talk about uh, Bondanovich, whether we talk about DeJounte Murray, Clint Capella, but they are not a conference championship team, even with Trey Young playing as good as he can play. I mean, as we speak, Trey Young is averaging 26 points a game, which is 11th in the NBA. And he's second in assist. He's averaging 26 and 11, pretty much. But there's a reason why almost every offseason cycle, almost every trade deadline cycle, almost every trade manager, when they come out the woodworks, there's a reason why Trey Young's name is almost always there. I said that when they made the conference finals in, I think, 2021, it bred unrealistic expectations for this team. And seeing as though they haven't been anywhere close since, probably has birthed frustration, not just with the Atlanta organization, but with Trey Young. Again, players understand what's up. Players understand if you're not really in the mindset, in the position to try to win. You can say you are, but actions speak louder than words. And when you trade arguably your second best player in John Collins or when your current second best player in DeJounte Murray is on the trade block, that should tell you everything you need to know. And when you have a player as good as Trey Young, I would understand that they would probably want to win. And they probably, I understand Trey Young is, how old is he? 25 years old. So he's still very young. But there, there comes a point where you want to play for more. When you get a taste of when you get a taste of something that you haven't had that is extremely good, you want more of that. And again, that's why I said it's a blessing and a curse that the <laughs> that that the Atlanta Hawks made it to the conference championship in, what, 2021. I think that this is the last year. Now now you hear, which is crazy, you hear former players, you hear current players talking about the Trey Young situation and saying how, quote-unquote, toxic it is. Look, when both people are upset in a relationship, sometimes they do things that are uncharacteristic. They're upset. That doesn't mean that you know, that doesn't mean that they're terrible people. They just do things out of anger. And 
I haven't really heard much of any great story from Trey Young or Trey Young between the relationship of Trey Young and Atlanta outside of them paying him. But I think that this is the last year we're going to see Trey Young in an Atlanta Hawks jersey. It just doesn't seem. It doesn't seem like it seems like there's frustration on both sides. And it doesn't seem like neither side is willing to not only be honest with themselves, but be honest with the situation at hand. If you understand where you are, because, again, I think that Atlanta is looking at Trey Young as you are a superstar, so we should be better than we are, even though, in my opinion, he's not. Or you're looking at him and saying, Trey Young, you got us to... You led us to the conference championship. Why haven't we been anywhere since? Now, and again, I under, you, you have to understand who Trey Young is. Trey Young is a offensive savant. And that's about it. And that's no offense and no disrespect to Trey Young. That's just honesty. I don't. <laughs> I just think that this is going to be the last year. I could be wrong, obviously, but I think that this is going to be the last year that we see Trey Young in a Atlanta Hawks jersey. And I think that, I don't know if they'll be able to afford him, but you want to go to a team. Trey Young has, he's not one of those players that, as unfortunate as it is, I think superstars are the only players that you can honestly build a team around and they can be a championship caliber team. And again, I, I don't think Trey Young is that. I think Trey Young is great. But Trey Young, in my opinion, is a solid second option. And when I mean what I mean solid second option, I think he is a great first option, but I don't think he's a championship first option. I think he would be a championship second option. So you hear it now, I don't think they would be a championship caliber team if he went here. Let me first let me first say that. But Put Trey Young on someone like the San, San Antonio Spurs, where he is obviously not the first option. The first option is Victor Wimbiyama. I think that you'd get the best out of Victor Wimbiyama. I think that you get the best out of Trey Young. Say Trey Young went to a, uh, the Lakers. I think that the Lakers have struggled mildly at the point guard position, and they struggle shooting the ball. Well, you get both in one, you know. So I, I just it just feels like this is going to be the last year that Trey Young's in the Atlanta Hawks jersey. Um, and it feels like this needs to be the last year because this marriage has run its course. So we'll see, though, man. I'm very interested because he's not the only player. He's not the only player like that. Like, obviously, we're not talking about it in this episode, but we'll see what happens with Clay Thompson at the end of this year. Uh, we'll see what happens with DeJounte Murray. I mean, he was just in trade talks. We'll see if he... I don't know. I don't know, man. It's interesting to see. It's interesting to see, but we'll see. And lastly, before we go, the unpopular topic of the day. Now, I'm going to address this with seriousness, but I'm also going to bring a little bit of fun into it as well. We've all seen the the Cam Newton video. We've all seen Cam Newton essentially 
getting jumped by grown men at a se- at his seven on seven camp and essentially uh <laughs> essentially handling his own like yeah um i'm just going to rattle off some takes that i have from that video from that situation First and foremost, <laughs> how? Let me let me give me give me a second. Give me a second, guys. I gotta I gotta check something out really quick. On Google, obviously Google isn't the end all be all. They could be wrong, but on Google, Cam Newton is six five, two hundred and forty five pounds. Cam Newton was a professional football player. Cam Newton was a Heisman winner. Cam Newton was a national champion. Cam Newton was an MVP. And if I remember correctly, he was an offensive rookie of the year. In what world do you think that it is smart to try to try a man <laughs> That has that was playing behind statistically one of the worst defense or worst offensive lines in football. A man that is towering over you. Now I get the whole point of jumping in that sense, but why? Why? So now you look dumb because Cam Newton handled every single one of y'all. Expeditiously, <laughs> to the point where his hat didn't even come off. Do you understand the level of embarrassment that you have to have? The level of embarrassment that comes your way that an unsuccessful recorded jumping? Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> Cam Newton's a game changer, bro. <laughs> you may be able to jump a game manager, but you can't jump a game changer. That's crazy. But let me let me end this with seriousness. I'm not going to make this a black and white thing. What I will say is we have to do better as a people, as a generation. We have to do better. Think about this, man. I understand that things get heated between coaches, between parents, between players. But there's a way of representing yourself when you leave the house. There's a way of representing yourself in any situation that you're in. And you want to represent yourself in the best way possible, in the best light possible. Because honestly, your reputation, your reputation is all that you have. And 
Cam Newton doesn't have to put on these things. Cam Newton doesn't have to do this seven-on-seven camp. Cam Newton doesn't have to do any of this. It's not going to take away from the money that Cam Newton's made in his professional career. It's not going to take away from who Cam Newton is. Cam Newton is doing this as a service. And to, to be a part of a service that Cam Newton is putting on because he, at the kindness of his heart, because a lot of these players in the seven-on-seven camp more than likely ain't getting an invitation nowhere else. So to go to Cam, a Cam Newton run event and try to jump the organizer is crazy. I don't remember who said it, but it's true. And this is where you have to make it about race. You don't hear this happening at the Peyton Manning, uh, what's his name? Peyton Manning, Eli Manning camp. You don't hear this at the the Trent Dilford camp. Why are we doing this at Cam Newton's camp? Why? I understand you may feel some type of way about Cam Newton, but wh- where's the respect at? Why is there no respect? Or why is there such a disregard for respect for a person that is honestly, whether he talk trash or not, he's doing a service to y'all. I understand that the video, you know, I joked about it. A lot of people joked about it. The world joked about it. But in all seriousness, that's a terrible look. That is a terrible look. And the fact that these are grown men at a kid's seven-on-seven camp, foundation, whatever it is, or uh, event, these are grown men trying to jump Cameron Newton at his own event is crazy. And then have the nerve to get on a podcast to quote unquote tell their side of the story like we didn't just freaking see it on camera. We just have to do better. We have to do better. Because how do how can you how can somebody call themselves a role model or try to be a role model or try to be uh, in charge of kids acting the way that they're acting? And the thing that sucks the most is the fact of this this happens at black camp. This happens this doesn't really happen. Well, it's not really publicized a lot, and it's not really shown a lot in white organizations like this, like the Peyton Manning, Eli Manning camp, which they've done much longer than Cam Newton's seven-on-seven thing. Yet and still. Like, do you think Cam Newton woke up that day thinking that he was going to get jumped? You think Cam Newton... Woke up, said, you know, the organization, this camp that I'm running, might get jumped. I might get jumped today. That's crazy. It's got to be better, man. We has to be. We, man. It's just crazy how adults at times 
can really hurt youth sports. Isn't I know that the youth get such a negative especially today's youth get such a negative rap, but these are adults acting like this. And I I had there is no I commend Cam Newton because he's better than me. He is better than me. I I I'm led by my faith. I am a very spiritual person. God is the center of everything that I do, or at least I try to make him the center of everything I do. But I couldn't imagine if somebody jumping me and I have the advantage, ain't no way I am just not. Th- I didn't see Cam Newton throw a punch. I just saw him swing swing a dude and put another dude in a, in a headlock while holding off somebody else. If, if I'm Cam Newton, I'm getting, boy, we just have to do better, man. And it's unfortunate that adults continue to tarnish youth sports. As much as we can, as much as we talk about how the youth is this, the youth is that, we need to start having a serious conversation about how these parents, how these coaches, how these adults look worse and act worse than these kids. And there you have it. That's been today's episode of the Unpopular Podcast. I truly, truly, truly appreciate you guys. If you want a popular podcast shirt, hoodie, sweater, long sleeve joggers, the link is in the description below. I have multiple different colors, multiple different designs. Get your Unpopular Podcast merch today. Also, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. I'm trying to get as many subscribers as possible. I truly, truly appreciate you guys. Tell a friend to tell a friend if you like the comment to sub- or like the content to subscribe. It means a lot. Also, for all my DSPs listeners, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, please subscribe or follow wherever you're listening. You guys matter just as much as my uh, YouTube audience, and it definitely would mean a lot if you guys like the content to subscribe it, it, wherever you listen. It means so much to me. And also follow the socials, follow Instagram, follow TikTok. I post pretty much daily, uh, you know, like, comment, we can debate. It's I, I enjoy it. Just follow the socials. Uh, and until next time, much love.